This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic, and you are listening to another episode here on the Mindful Experiment. Excited to have this guest that I had on to chat with, to dive deep with, and to talk a lot about doing in action, rethinking the path to results. And this is uh, Ginny Upal's new book that has come out, which has multiple award-winning book. And it's one of those things where we talked a lot about how to take breaks. Why is that important? The neuroscience behind it. Why is it critically important for creating creativity? I showed a little bit about the spiritual side of why taking breaks or disconnecting is always great to do. And it's a really, I thought, a very important topic. If you've been listening to the podcast for a little bit now, you know that the, I've been talking about this because it's it's a different frame of mind. It's a different thought process. I think it's critical for everyone to start to shift gears. We've been told for, based a little bit on my research over 100 years, on how to live, create success from a Newtonian perspective. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying it doesn't get results. Billionaires talk about doing this and their net worth is billions of dollars. So they're doing something right. But uh, there is a new movement coming around and I call it the more quantum perspective where it's about how to take breaks, how to be more in a flow state, how to not have to grind and hustle so much. And we talk a little bit about the grind and the hustle, the sweat equity and the terminology that comes with this. And so I thought it was a wonderful conversation. Um, and I know you will find some good information out of this and, and so much more. So before we dive in, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Jenny. She is no stranger to driving innovative thinking. She has honed her 20 plus years of experience in driving transformational growth by challenging existing norms at Fortune 500 companies like Kohl's, Macy's, and IBM. As a business and tech growth strategist, board advisor, and thought leader, she continues to pave innovative paths to progress and success and most recently served in the role of vice president of strategy at a $12 billion North American retailer known as Bed Bath & Beyond. Originally from Mumbai, Jenny's a graduate of Florida International University and Harvard Business School. In 2016, she took a sabbatical and worked with artists in Morocco to help their, them monetize their work. Jenny has been a practitioner of Vedic and Buddhist meditation and breathwork since 2008. And she has a multiple award-winning book, In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results. So without any further ado, sit back and relax and enjoy this wonderful interview with Jenny Upal. Ginny, welcome to the show. It's so good to be here, Rick. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. Just the conversation we were having before coming here on to do the recording has, uh, I'm just, you're you're speaking on a passion of mine, so I'm excited to dive into that. But before we get there, I always, I'm always curious about people's journeys because so many times we always look at where someone is and I always love to know what was the journey, what led you to do what you do today? That's a great question. <laughs> um, it makes me reflect a bit on what, what exactly has my journey been. One of the things I've noticed, Vic, is depending on when I'm asked the question, you know, today versus five years ago versus five years from now, the answers are so different, which is just as well, you know, our journeys evolve. 
My background essentially is that I've been somebody who considered myself ambitious for the lot for the longest time. I'm originally from India. I moved to the US because I wanted to make something out of myself, which is the typical immigrant story. And I did land up making something out of myself in the conventional sense, which is I had a corporate career of about 20 plus years and uh, it went very well. And perhaps I'm in the middle of it still. We'll see what comes next. Uh, but my formula, like many other ambitious people, was to be successful, I've got to do this, that, and the other. I've got to take action. I've got to step up. I've got to make it happen. Those are phrases that used to be very common in my description of myself and my thoughts. Uh, the pandemic brought a bit of a pause in my career, not my choice, you know, as it happened in many cases. And I found myself reflecting on my progress. And I was a bit frustrated because I didn't have a conventional job and I was not happy. So I was thinking to myself, I'm wasting my time. You know, I'm not doing enough. And in the middle of it all, as I reflected on my actual progress, the big, bold moves I made in my career, I noticed something big. I noticed before every big and bold move, I actually took a break. Whether it was by choice or something happened, I paused. And in that pause, a new idea came up and I landed up taking a pivot in my career, for example. I've had two career pivots from telecom into e-commerce into retail. And so the book that I've written, In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results, really started with the question, what really drives progress? Is it the action that we take, which we can point to, which is tangible? Or is it those moments of pauses where it looks like you're not doing anything, but creative ideas are coming forth? And uh, the result is the book. It's, it's a sum of interviews I've conducted with other successful people to ask them, like, am I crazy? Like, wh what really drives success? Um, so the book is a collection of interviews, research, um, and it's been, it's been quite a fun journey for me myself. Just want to take a quick break here and just share with you if you've been enjoying this episode please do me a huge favor and just share it with a friend a family member someone that you know would benefit or enjoy listening to this just like you are if this is your first time listening to the episode please subscribe if you haven't done so already it allows you not to miss another update or episode release that we do. If you're enjoying this, please do me a huge favor and sh share a review on whatever platform that you listen to at uh, the podcast on. It helps expand our reach and our mission out there and so much more. Now, let's go ahead and let's get back to the show. I love that, and this and what you're sharing is something that I'm 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 so big on in so many ways. But you know, because that goes against the grain a little bit. Because if you think about mainstream um, business advice, you can hear this from motivational speakers. You hear it in personal development. You hear it in self help. Um, I mean, this has been going on for years. I mean, I remember listening to some books back in 1930s talking about how you have to. Uh, work hard and you have to constantly continue to do hard work to become successful. And now it's became, you know, again, with things in society, with social media, we pick different, we get these little catchy phrases, these catchy terms or, or names or something and like sweat equity or the grind and hustle. Um, 
why is it that, you know, with, with what your stuff, interviews, your book and your own experiences that you've noticed from reflecting, why, why is it, I don't want to say harmful, but why is it is that way of method methodology or that thought or that belief to grind, hustle, sacrifice, and all those things um, is something that is not optimal for us in some way, shape, or form. Right. I mean, when done nonstop, the problem is not hard work. I don't think hard work is, is bad. The problem is we never know when to stop. We take the hard work ethic and we take it too far. I think the problem that you're calling out, there's two parts to it. One is, you know, the way we are raised. And I talk a little bit about the message we get when we are growing up is you've got to do something. And, you know, young people tend to go through phases of inertia and confusion. And the message they get from everyone around them is you've got to pick a lane. You've got to do something. So it kind of gets ingrained in us that to get anything in life, we have to do something. And technically that is correct, but we take it too far. We take it as I've got to keep doing something all the time. The other is when you listen to the success stories of most people, and this is particularly true in the last 10, 15 years, uh, where you know social media kind of became a way for us to hear stories of other people. Gig economy became a thing. And so all of a sudden, the most glamorous and you know, new celebrities of successful people, the only story they were telling was their hustle. They were describing their hustle. They were describing their 20-hour work days, day after day, week after week, year after year. And that became the norm. What we didn't know is they were probably taking medication to stay, to keep going. They were probably burning out in their life. So I feel like over the last, especially 10, 15 years, it has become a bit of a norm only because the loudest voices are the ones talking about their hustle and they're glamorizing it. But I think now the work you're doing, the book I have written, there's a new set of voices that's saying, you don't have to burn yourself out to be successful. That path is not the only path. So, so I'm glad to be here talking to you and I'm glad to hear that you, you've been doing this work and getting this message out. So it's just a matter of us recognizing hustling is not the only way to be successful. There is an alternative. That's so true. And, and it's one of those things, my journey was, you know, I, like I was sharing earlier how I got burned out, but it's also, I took a reflection and with my background in, as a chiropractor and, and studying the body and neuroscience, and then looking at my other background as an energy medicine and studying spirituality in the universe, and then looking at nature, I've always find that there's nothing like that that does all the time constant work. Like nature doesn't do that. The universe doesn't do that. Our own body doesn't do that. Even even some people make an argument that the brain's always working. I'm like, yes, but um, there's always activity going on in the brain, but there's it's not constantly grinding as you know it's been told that we have to. With other things that, <clears throat> excuse me, with other things that it comes to this journey, what are some of the the do you get resistance from sharing your message and sharing this truth? Yes and no. My book came out in December 21 and it coincided with a time where people were pretty fatigued from the pandemic and, you know, things like great resignation was becoming a thing. So there were a lot of people who were just so fed up of living, you know, running the hamster wheel of action that they were, they were grateful. I remember there were a couple of book talks I gave last summer while I was still writing the book. And I remember this woman saying, I'm so glad somebody's giving me permission to take a break. 
I, it was very distressing for me to hear that, that somebody needs permission from me to tell them it's okay to take a break, that it's a good thing. So there are those who are very relieved and happy that somebody's actually talking about it. And then there are those who are very uncomfortable. I remember a corporate leader, a C-suite uh, person who I've known for many, many years. He wanted to buy many copies of my books. And at that time, my title wasn't quite final. The title of my book, the working title at that time was The Power of Inaction. And uh, so he wanted to buy a bunch of copies. And then he comes and tells me, you know, I spoke to my one of my team members and said, this will be great. This book will be good for us to give out to our team. And his colleague told him that, you know, it's fine. The message is good, but it's not going to look good for employees to have a copy of a, of a book that has the word inaction on it on their desk. They'll open themselves up to be... Um, to be mocked by their colleagues. I thought that was a very, very telling sign, Vic, that you may believe in the message, you may instinctively know that this is the right message, this is the right way of living, but there is still peer pressure. We allow ourselves to become pressured by what will others say if I take a break or if I talk about taking a break. Uh, so there's a little bit of both going up. I'm again hoping that the more we talk about the benefits, my book is not about slowing down for the sake of it. All the stories in my book are about people who are very successful. They got what they want, but their strategy was different. The strategy was to take a break, to take a pause every now and then. So I'm hoping the more I talk about it, the more you talk about it, the more this becomes the norm. I agree with you 100%. So my next question then is going to be, how or what are ways can we pause or take a break? What are, what are some examples of that? You know, a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned how the brain is working all the time, but it's, break, it's working differently when we take rest. So I came across neuroscience research, which uh, talks about mind wandering and daydreaming. Now, these are behaviors we usually think are negative right? We associate mind wandering with a distracted mind. We associate daydreaming with building castles in the air. You know, you're, you're not taking life seriously. Turns out there is neuroscience research that, you know, they put probe on top of people's minds and, and studied what happens in their brain. And uh, what the neuroscientists, this is like 20 years old research. So they've done quite a lot of work on it. What they discovered is when we are mind wandering, which means that we are not focused on a task, our senses are not engaged, we are not sleeping, we are not meditating, we are just letting the mind go wherever it wants to go. If we allow that for even 15, 20 minutes, the, there are parts of the brain that light up, which normally would not be active. And these parts of the brain are called the default mode network. And when the default mode network is active, what the brain is doing is it's connecting dots between information we've been collecting all this time, and it creates new ideas. That's where you, we get aha moments from. So you could have been concentrating on a problem for hours. You would not come up with the same solution if you just let your mind go. So it's amazing that you don't have to, uh, inaction is not something to do. It's actually something to not do, <laughs> you know, let it go, sit there and chill out, let your mind wander just for 15 minutes. Try that as an experiment and see what kind of ideas come up. Don't even try to scribble them as they come up. Just let your mind go and all sorts of creative ideas come up. And then you take action on those. 
I love that. That it, I mean, even aligns with a lot of stuff I share from a, a spiritual perspective or universal law perspective that when we hold to an attachment of an outcome, like if we're trying to solve, let's say we're trying to solve something and we're just constantly grinding away at this. It, 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 we, we, when you constantly do that, you're actually pushing yourself farther away from what it is that you want to achieve. But if we let go, disconnect for just a little bit, and then all of a sudden that resistance is gone and then the, and things can flow to you and those thoughts or those ideas or some creative aspect will, will, will come from that in some shape or form. So I, I love when you're sharing all this. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, no, that's very well said. I, I think the thing we've got to learn is that everything doesn't have to be a fight. <laughs> we, we tend to get into a fight with the problem or with the world. And if you just, like you said, step back, you know, new ideas will come up. So true. And, and I love how you brought up the fight part, too, because there is another aspect that's talked a lot about um, where you have to have like mental toughness. And I always look at that and I'm like, you're building resistance in a fight to something that, you know, it doesn't have to be that way because like you're just sharing. Take a break, take 15 minutes, un reset, unwind, um, because even when you're uh, there was research that I was reading about years ago on peak performance, and it was finding out that our brain only has a certain amount of computing power per day or per period of time and also per day. So that varies. But what it was is there, it was, this is what was, this is what got me to shift gears in my own life from a neuroscience perspective, because uh, the more that you do work or you use up your mental capacities, what ends up happening is the less quality of work will come out because of that. So there's like this beautiful dance with this. And what most people do, if you're grinding out all the time, it's in a, not only your quality of work is going to go down, but even your productivity. So it's going to take you longer to accomplish things rather than having centered focus and doing it in short increments and, you know, taking rest, as you say. Um, have you, it, when it, when it, this is, uh, is this part something that you share also in your book too? And you talk a little bit about Right. I, you're, you're totally on point. My book, like I said earlier, is not about slowing down to smell the roses. It's actually slowing down long enough for creative ideas to come through. And this way you might actually get there faster and with less uh, fatigue or, or wearing out. We, we somehow associate, we glamorize the idea of, like you said, toughness, and we associate that with exhaustion and we think that's a good thing but a lot of people who have been very successful they'll tell you they they can't afford to be exhausted you know there are there are leaders in silicon valley i think it's jeff bezos whose story i mentioned in one of my articles he, he doesn't start his day until 10 o'clock perhaps that's not an option available to the rest of us but the point is you if you really want to be successful if you want to achieve crazy crazy success then working hard alone is not going to get you. You're going to burn out long before you get there. So all these ideas, the ones you talk about, the ones in my book are about giving yourself a break long enough for a creative, a better, a powerful idea to come through, which is not, which is going to come from the universe around you. It, it won't come from you. It won't come from brute force. And you, you'll probably be more successful than had you been chasing that goal. I love that. I love the way you explain that because it's just, it's so elegant in its way. What is then some advice? Let's say you have somebody who is a young entrepreneur and a young professional and they're getting started and they've been, you know, they're, they're listening to all this, this, all that they can because they want it. They're so ambitious. What are some things that like, is there, 
And I, I'm, I'm probably going to put two questions in the one because what advice would you give them? And then when it comes to taking breaks, I know we talked about just taking breaks and so forth. Are there other things that you would recommend into that mix also? So two questions in one there for you. <laughs> fair, fair enough. And they are very closely related. One is I would strongly recommend think of life as a long game. And that's helped me a lot. I think we get very caught up in the next job, the next deal, the next fundraising round or what have you. The the idea, just keep in mind, life is a very long game. So don't burn yourself out in the next round. And a related answer, perhaps to your second question is, it is probably not going to be possible for you to take breaks as long as you want them to be. Um, I remember a while ago, my last job, I was the vice president of strategy for a $12 billion company. And it was a pretty regular job, more, more or less nine to five. And you know, it's, it was hard for me to escape that. I used to work really long and really hard during the week and kind of crash on the weekend. What I've discovered in the last couple of years is, while that's okay, I was lucky I had I could afford to crash on the weekend and just recover from it. What I've realized is, not everybody has the luxury and you don't always have the luxury. You may be working on a project. You've just got to get it out and it's going to be the next four months of your life. What I've started recommending to people and I've started embracing myself is introduce 10 to 15 minute breaks whenever you can. There's always a five minute block you'll find in the day. Usually what we do is we start scrolling social media. We check our email. The fact is nothing's changed in the world. Nothing's going to change in the world all that dramatically. So take the five minutes and do nothing. Go for a walk, close your eyes, take a nap, (laughs) you know, or meditate. So instead of waiting for the end of the day or the weekend to recover, start introducing these five minute breaks whenever you can make that a habit. Uh, And that will probably take you farther than any other strategy. At least that's my experience. 100% 100% agree with you there. Cause it, like one of the advices I give to people, like as a chiropractor, I'd always be like, <clears throat> excuse me, telling patients, I'm like, if you sit at a desk or if you, even if you stand at a desk, I was like, 15 minutes is what I want you to do. Max put a timer, 15 minutes. Once that hits, get up. If you're sitting, if you're standing already, go move for five minutes and then come back. And then you can go back to your work. I said, there's two reasons why I recommend that. The first one is, is it, it's about 60 minutes, give or take where if you're in a fixed position, the muscles will start to adapt. I think that's the new standard position we're going into. So they start to shorten and fix into that position and it makes it harder to make a change out of that. And then the second one is a mental performance as you're bringing up right now. Like, you know, everyone's computing capacity is different. It could be, you know, one of the books I've read in the science I've, I've looked into, um, some people can compute really, really high energy for like 30 minutes and some can do an hour, some can do an hour and a half um, at a, a given time where they're at their max peak and then eventually it's going to wind down and you have to reset. That's why I love your whole 10, 15 minute break because it'll give yourself a chance just to refresh your brain. And a lot of times people will be like, I can't take a five minute break at work or I'm not able to do that because I have to keep being productive. And then I would share, I'm like, well, here's a study to show you how this will actually make you more productive throughout the day. And it'll keep your productivity high. And it's, it's fascinating to where those who did take that advice they were shocked on how much more they were able to get done throughout the day just by giving themselves those little breaks from here and there compared right. to those who grind it out and just continually go, 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 thinking they're getting as much as they possibly can done. Brilliant. Yep. And so 
when it when it when we look at breaks, I know you brought up meditation. I love to pick your brain on this a little bit. Do you incorporate? Do you talk about meditation in your book? I know you you practice meditation. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I do. And the thing I mentioned in the book is uh, there. I've been practicing meditation since two thousand eight. It's very integrated into my life now. It's kind of like I. I meditate the way I brush my teeth. Like it's, it's very automatic, but a lot of people who start out on meditation will come and tell me how it's very hard for them. And they'll tell me how, you know, their mind keeps going. So, and their conclusion is it's not for me, or I am not good at it. What I talk about in the book is that it's, there's an irony in there. In the book, I talk about action bias, which is our behavioral tendency to take action when it's not needed, or it's, you know, counterproductive or unnecessary. And in many ways, those who get frustrated with meditation, the beginners, it is their action bias playing out. They sit in meditation because they've been told, they've heard you know, the marketing and the messaging around meditation is it'll make you happy. The goal of meditation is to be without thought. So they sit down and then thoughts come rushing in. And because they have this action bias, which means I should do something about it, then they try to fight the thoughts and then they go into a downward spiral because when you try to fight your thoughts, they thoughts will win. <laughs> thoughts are part of the human design. Interestingly, the goal of meditation is not for you to do something to get to the no thought place. It is for you to do nothing to observe and, and people don't understand the subtlety because they are wired to do something about it. So those who give up on meditation early on, it's their action bias playing out. It is the same tendency that makes you keep going because you feel you have to do something to control your thoughts, which is absolutely impossible for humans, at least. So, you know, if anybody out there is struggling with meditation, I would recommend try to get a teacher because it's, it can be very frustrating in the beginning and try to be patient with yourself. Like the act of meditation is nothing but sitting down and observing your thoughts. And the irony or the paradox is the moment you observe your thoughts, they're not there. You can't observe your thoughts and be thinking at the same time. So maybe somebody listening to us will try this as an experiment, just even for five minutes and see what happens. Yeah, I love meditation and what it has done. It's been a game changer for my life. I've been doing it for about almost same length of time you've been doing it, about 15 years, give or take for me. And it's, it's interesting when you, the same frustrations you hear, the same ones I get where people are like, I just have too many thoughts running. I just, I just, I, you know, I can't stop with my thoughts. And I'm always like, first off, you'll never be able to. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, you have 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day that happen. So I'm like, the, the goal is not that. And I love how you brought that up. It's just, you know, do nothing being this element just to, sometimes reconnect into the stillness and, and just allow yourself to reset in some way, shape or form. Cause there's so many things that I teach how, again, from a neurological perspective, how to reset the nervous system so that we can go to higher levels of our brain, um, which is focus and concentration and those kind of things. And meditation does an absolutely amazing job for that. And, but sometimes it's, it's amazing how frustrated people get when it comes to how hard it is just to sit and just be, so it, true. It amazes me. I, I always, in, in my work, I always tell people, I'm like, listen, for 90 days, I want you to do the same meditation over and over. And they're just like, what do you mean? That's going to get boring. I can't do this. And I'm like, and they get mad at me. And I'm like, listen, 
the whole purpose is, is you've been so, you're so conditioned to, maybe that's a big problem too in our life is that we're so, our, our attention span is less than, uh, it's around eight seconds. It's probably a little less than that now, um, but it's less than a goldfish. And with that, it makes it harder and harder for us to stay centered and focus, to allow us to focus on a task. Or I, I share this in the realm of, you know, creating a reality, because if you can't focus uh, on what you want to create, or you can't hold it for a long period of time, then it's going to become harder to create that in your life. Um, when it when it comes to meditation, are there certain practices you like certain uh, for listeners who are listening who are like, yeah, I would love to do some meditation. What are some um, ways they can, you know, maybe slowly walk into this kind of realm? That's a good question. And lately I've been, I've watched the the explosion of meditation. I actually early in, the, in my own journey, I started volunteering um, to, you know, bring meditation to make it more mainstream in New York, where I used to live. And since then, of course, meditation has exploded onto the mainstream. There are gazillion apps. What I, what I would like to say is to, to really make meditation part of your life long-term, the best thing is not to rely on too many props which could be, you know, sound baths or, or lots of rituals and, you know, all those distractions. Meditation is so simple. You sit down, even if you do it just for five minutes, the key is, like you said, to make a habit out of it, to do it, make a 40-day commitment, make a 30-day commitment, start somewhere and for five minutes without any distraction, without sounds, without too many techniques, keep bringing your mind back to your keep bringing your attention back to whatever you're thinking in the moment. I have come to realize that it is good to have a teacher, at least somebody who you who can guide you in the beginning. So the technique to me doesn't matter. I've tried, you know, I've, I've practiced Vedic techniques, which is still my, my default, and I've practiced Buddhist techniques. I think the technique just depends on whatever works with you or whatever you happen to run into. The key is really commitment and making a habit out of it and not freaking out, not overanalyzing. And for that, the best thing is to have a teacher, not, not like a gazillion apps. So that will be my recommendation. I, I couldn't agree with you more. One of the things I, I just to add to what you're sharing is <clears throat> sometimes I tell people when it comes to meditation, like just do, just meditate on what you do already. And they always look at me like, I'm we like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, you have to eat. Right. And they're like, well, yes. Okay. Do mindful eating. That's a form of meditation or like <clears throat> for males. I'm like, if you got to shave, if they shave their face, even women, if you shave legs and so forth, I'm like, just, just be mindful when you're med when you're shaving, just really get into the experience of that. I'm like, those are the little things. Cause in my in the beginning of my journey of meditating, I was all about the meditation, meditation, meditation. And as, and as yogis would say, you know, you got to take your, um, take the yoga uh, off the mat. And I found that in my meditation, I was very bliss and peaceful and all that great stuff. And then I walked away from the meditation and within five minutes, I was back to my revved energy, ready to take on the world. And I was like, okay, I need to change this up a little bit. And the biggest thing for me was, um, was just how do I implement meditation throughout my day? And that was something that drastically changed every aspect of my life. Cause then I was like, I have to be mindful in the moment. Let me just, let me just be here. And forget everything else. And it wasn't easy in the beginning, uh, but over time, I was—I'm still working on this over the years. I'm still—I have not mastered this. You could ask my wife; she'll tell you I have mastered this. But I'm working more and more towards that because it's just like I'm trying to be more in the present and be in a mindful state as much as I possibly can. 
That's such an interesting observation, Vic. Um, in the early years, I would get frustrated with my meditation. And I also do multi-day silent retreats. And what happens when you're in two, three, four, I don't know, 10 days of meditation, you come out feeling pretty blissful about life. Like life is so beautiful. And then you go back to work and then you get irritated. So in the early years, I would get frustrated with myself that this is a waste. It's not really changing anything in the sense it only works when I'm in meditation. It doesn't work when I'm out of meditation. But having done this for, I don't know, 14 years now, the fact is what we are doing in meditation is you are rehearsing, you are training. It's like you are developing that muscle. It's a, it's a mental muscle, not a physical muscle the capacity to be in observation. And it's happening extremely subtly. And over a period of time, it's only over many, many years that I've realized that it does leak into my day. It is not possible for you to be practicing meditation every day for years and it not kind of spill over into your life. An easier example is if you work out, I recently started doing physical workout, which has never been my thing. I have an addiction for sweets. You know, I crave dessert. And it's interesting. I notice if I do my physical workout every day, I automatically don't want dessert. It's not like I have to use my willpower <laughs> to avoid it. So those who do physical workout will understand that just half an hour of whatever cardio or strength training kind of sort of sets you up for better eating decisions or even how you carry your body, your posture, the same thing applies with meditation. The, the problem with meditation is most people don't stick to it or they don't, or they get distracted or they are using too many props. They're trying incense. They are doing music. That's not meditation. Meditation truly is being with yourself. So finding the right technique, the right method, sticking to it. I think it's, it's not possible for it, the effects of it, the positive effects for it, of it to spill into your life. I couldn't agree with you more. It's like we were in chiropractic school and they used to tell us no matter what, no matter how much all the content and all the stuff we had to study, like eventually it's just going to convert into your mind like osmosis. It will just happen. And that's the same thing you're sharing here with like meditation. I've had that experience too. Like eventually it's just going to affect you in some way, shape or form of your life. It will start to mold and change it in some way, shape or form. And, and you're also right that, you, you know, you'll never master it. I actually don't know what mastering is. I, I think, again, there is this uh, kind of a false goal we have that we are going to be happy forever and perpetually and constantly if we meditate. And that's the other discovery you make. That's not the point. The point of life is not to be happy all the time. That would be very boring. <laughs> like you almost need the contrast of emotions to, to enjoy the juice of life. So when you really start practicing meditation, you stop chasing happiness. There's nothing to chase. It's, it's there. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know that there, I don't know what mastery is. It's for me, my commitment to my practice is enough. That is, that is enough for me. No, I love that. And I, and I don't think we ever do because that like mastery to me and just my definition of it has always been uh, you're done. There's nothing more that you need to uh, learn from it. And, and based on just, you know, like in a quantum physics realm, there's like, there's, there's infinite, there's, you can go as there's never an end to what you can learn and what you can do. And uh, I've been blessed to be around a couple of sages and mystics. And, and it's funny how just talking with them, they're like, I'm a student and always will be, I don't know anything, but I know some things. And I'm like, this is so interesting. And for my mind, it was hard to wrap around at that time. But I, as I'm getting older, I understand what they mean by that. And I'm kind of in that place now yeah. where I'm like, 
I don't, I know some things, but I don't know anything. And I'm just here to, how can I just learn, continue to learn? Cause that's just really the journey of what we all go through. Isn't that amazing to be happy, to be a student, to recognize and to actually be happy with that. It's, it's quite amazing. I love that. Well, Jenny, this has been a, an amazing conversation. I love your energy and everything that you bring to the table. How can people connect with you, find you, follow you, get your book, all that good stuff? Of course. I'm easy to find. My name is Ginny Opal, uh, and my website is J-I-N-N-Y-U-P-P-A-L.com. My book, In Action, Rethinking the Path to Results, is available online wherever you buy books, and you can also get a signed copy uh, on my website. And I love hearing from people. I know this topic is a bit difficult to understand or accept it's contrarian. So, you know, anybody wants to have a chat about it or, or disagrees with any of it, I would love to hear different points of view. So um, the easiest way to contact me is on my website. You can send me a note and uh, I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Awesome. For as, all the listeners. And for all the listeners, I will have all that information for you guys in the show notes. Ginny, this has been awesome. I appreciate you sharing your, your wonderful work that you're doing. I think you are on a place to where we can help individuals start to humans to come back to the place of where they're naturally designed to, that we don't have to get caught up in the hamster wheel or the hedonic wheel. We don't have to constantly grind and hustle all the time. That rest is actually a good thing. Um, and it can actually bring more fulfilled life when we do that, especially from achieving our goals and creating the life we want to desire and so much more. Brilliant. Amen to that. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. This has been fun. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.